0: Alright guys, Aaron Audra Performance here, bringing you today episode 4 of Coaches Q&A. So today I'm going to have Liz Hogan on, very established women's lacrosse player, Team USA, multiple time all-star, pro player, very renowned in also the coaching space as well, has worked with numerous different colleges and I'll be having her on in a moment. Here we go. Liz, how's it going?
1: How are you?
0: I'm good. What about yourself?
1: It's good.
0: How's your day been?
1: It's much better.
0: I think you might be breaking up just a little there. can
1: you hear me
0: now? Yeah, that's better, that's much better.
1: Okay. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, no. Today was a lot less hectic than yesterday,
0: so stoked to be able to make today work, but nice, nice. How'd the wedding yes. tasting go?
1: Uh, so what they don't tell you is to pace yourself. So I, just, you know, <laughs> like you know, try a couple things. There was six appetizers, four full meals, and then desserts, and I, I was full by after the first. Else. So I was like, uh-oh, this is not good.
0: And it's the sort of thing where you don't really have a choice to to stop eating there because you need to test everything, obviously.
1: You have to. It's like your duty to test everything. And I'm like, you need me to test the desserts? Absolutely. Like, I'll do
0: it. <laughs> I will sacrifice. I will be the one.
1: I know. Someone has to do it, right?
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> How have the past sort of five, six months been for you in terms of regards to your training and coaching and the like?
1: Uh it's been really challenging. It's it's finally starting to open up here a little bit more in California. So our my high school lacrosse team is is back in session. We're back doing our practices. We have our first game next Friday, which is awesome. And then I've been fortunate enough to have a couple uh, teammates near me and been able to train with them uh, you know, actual lacrosse skills in addition to, to what I do outside of lacrosse. So it's it's slowly coming back together, which has been super nice.
0: So it's a bit of a <laughs> A very slow sort of step-by-step process. Obviously, the people that have been like yourself and the people you've been working with that have been grinding over that sort of period, you can come back, maybe not missing a bit, you might be a little step sort of slower, but having most of those core skills intact, whereas I'm sure a lot of the other people that may not have been grinding as hard will come back very off the beat, per se. So it's going to be quite interesting when you get back to that first game to see the, how par- like, what level of parity is actually there amongst different schools and teams and the like.
1: For sure. And actually, I, I took a year off out of college before I got back into the U.S. team. And I would say it was actually probably like one of the best things for my development. And I'm not sure if my body just needed the break or what have you. But mentally, for sure, I was in a much better place. And I've been noticing a lot of the college players have come back kind of with a vengeance. So I'm, I'm kind of stoked for that. It's almost like a blessing in disguise
0: hundred percent. Like, it's, a, it's always an interesting perspective to see, like, the mental side. Like, yeah, okay, the physical skills are one thing, but if your drive and intent and motivation to be the best that isn't 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 at its all-time high, it doesn't matter if your, physical, if your physical skills are as primed as they can be. Like, the mind obviously controls all that. And it's interesting, like, obviously going through the sort of high-performance stream of probably a lot of club teams and stuff like that as well when you've gone through high school then you get to college and it just ups its level of seriousness and the intent and the time of training and it just starts to boil over and boil over and that break there can often be the sort of linchpin that reignites your your love for the sport like rather than just being burnt into the ground and run 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 and you kind of almost don't take a breath for yourself there and then having that time to explore outside of the sport and not be defined by one sort of thing like that can often lead to positive in the long run like whether it be maybe an injury that's forced you to sort of retake that position of your life and the like. Yeah, it's quite an interesting thing when someone has time away and it's a benefit for them rather than most people viewing it as a negative.
1: For sure. Yeah, no, I feel that. And I'm hoping for positive vibes and everything. But um, to your point, I think it's kind of a blessing. You know, you can do with it what you want. You take it to your advantage or you don't. So I'm, I'm trying to take everything from it that I can.
0: 100%, 100%. Yeah, the last sort of couple of months in regards to your coaching would have been a stretch of the skill set for sure. Whether, I'm not too sure what sort of your, what like the state has put as restrictions and the like, because obviously every country is quite in a different state. Like at the moment in Australia, we're, we're quite fortunate to have our COVID situation under control. So like no, no masks really <laughs> of course i've got it is easy being on an island in the middle of nowhere compared to everywhere else but yeah we're quite lucky in that regard where we're our most of our restrictions have been lifted at this point so it's getting back to normality but i do obviously a lot of coaching and PT and the like and through that period when it was at its worst required a lot of adaptation like how have you felt your coaching has had to sort of modify and change across that time period
1: yeah, you know, it's interesting in two points. Like, right, the first point is we weren't allowed to have contact for the longest time. So, like, physical contact, not, you know, <laughs> interacting with people but more. So, you know, we could do sick work, but you couldn't do, like, a one-on-one. Um, and so from a player perspective, that's really hard both, you know, offensively and defensively. Like, just, there's no such thing as getting a real live rep.
0: Exactly. Red it's weekend. a completely different game.
1: Yeah, like, cones do nothing, in my opinion. So, I mean, mm. you can use cones or whatever, but it's not going to be the real thing. But then on the flip side, too, trying to get your body to put that same force and pressure that you would going against a human is is also really challenging. So I've definitely had to adapt a little bit more. But also, you know, in some respects, there's nothing you can do. So just getting them the best they can and really trying to get them mentally to envision what, what they would be seeing, even though the person may not be there, I think is so
0: key. 100%. Like... The, the visualization is a big thing there, whether it be off the field, sort of your own visualization of running through mentally, like how it feels to be in this position to go against a person in this sort of angle and the like, or while you're actually in the position, whether it be a defender trying to drop step or an attacker making a move or something like that, doing it with the intent that there is someone there rather than just, oh, there's a cone here, I can, I can get past the cone because the cone's not going to move. Exactly. And that that's very, it's a big dichotomy there between the two sort of dodges or drop sets or whatever it may be, and really trying to get the most out of every rep you can there is such a different perspective to, oh, I can just run past the cone and, and score.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what separates, you know, like the good players from the great players, and something I didn't really realize, but like I was always, I wouldn't call it daydreaming, but envisioning what I was doing, not only like making saves, but letting goals in, how I was reacting, Um, And I think when you're in a position like we are now in a pandemic, when maybe you you actually can't go against someone, it's the person that's going to be able to really visualize the whole game in front of them so that when it does come to fruition, they haven't lost any step, right? Like they've seen that defender in front of them or they've seen that attacker in front of them and they're reacting, they've seen everything and you know, we talk about like the players see two steps ahead and maybe that's what we were doing the whole time is living in a pandemic and, you know, being able to do that. So,
0: um, you know, 100%.
1: yeah, so I, I kind of really like it. I think that's a huge advantage. And you know, I, the first thing I always ask my players is like, "What does a cone tell you?" And they're like, "Well, you know, it tells me to dodge." I'm like, "But pretend you don't have lacrosse. Like, what does a cone tell you? Like, maybe stop, maybe move." Definitely. No, no, it doesn't tell you anything. But it can be have...
0: interpreted many different ways.
1: Yeah, but if you have a defender there, right? Like, you're looking at her hips, you're looking at her stick, you're you're mm. reading the distance between you and her, and um, so yeah, it's a different ball game when you can have a human. But if you can't, the the visualization is absolutely key.
0: Hundred percent. It's it's almost that sort of split of an external stimulus where you're having to react to something else rather than an internal one where I'm running at a cone, but I'm only concerned with my own movement. The cone is not going to move. I am only thinking about where I'm going and that. And then you go to do that against a real life player and they're just going to pick you (laughs) off because they're going to move and you're going to still be doing the exact same thing that you were before. So it's almost an interesting sort of split between earlier in a, a sort of player's career where it's a lot more about that internal and making sure you are in the right position and then further in the career, it's a lot more about obviously the external, the mental of like, if I can read you, I know that I'm going to be in the right spot. I'm going to move the right way. But it's me reacting to the correct sort of, uh, the correct stimulus from the defender yes. and the like.
1: For sure. The conditions and, and all of that. Yeah. No, the action and perception is just, but to your point, when you're younger, you still have to learn the move, right? Like that's key number one. Exactly. You have to be able to do it. So I, I totally feel that for sure
0: requires a lot more reps when you're younger to get those sort of solid fundamentals to the point where you've developed them as an adult and it's more about the mental like you require a lot less physical reps and a lot maybe not a lot more mental but the mental side gets you sharper for the game day than those physical ones like are you you're 30 31 32
1: 31 yep <laughs> 31
0: nice don't, don't want to start you short there like i'm sure that you probably would not need to see as many shots in a warm-up as you would have 10 years ago to feel ready to be dialed in
1: that's funny. Like, I feel that way, not only in warm up, but also just in my training in general. And I, I forget what basketball player it was, but I was reading up on an, an older basketball player, like late 30s, early, maybe even early 40s. And he was like, yeah, I just, you know, my body knows, like, I can tell you where the rim is at no matter where I'm at. And I, and I kind of feel to that point in my career where it's, I've read enough shooters, I've gotten enough shots to where my body knows what it wants to do or what it should do. And I kind of had that like that bank of information, whereas even a college bully is still trying to adjust and and gather that information. So, um, yeah, I hate warm ups. The less warm ups, the better. Let's go.
0: <laughs> the less bruises, the better.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, I just got one. No, here. yeah, I
0: think that's quite interesting. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I, just go on the, I was uh, sitting around with my US teammates, and I was just like, "Oh my gosh!" Like I, I, forgot. I used to get this like every day. Like, how did I used to do it?
0: <laughs> it? It's quite funny. Yeah, you have that sort of time period off, or even just a, I guess a decrease in total volume, and you're like, "Oh yeah, like this is the new norm," and you adapt to it. And then when it spikes back up, you're like, "Wow! Like this, this was the normal then, but it hasn't been for a while."
1: Yeah, yeah, so yeah. we have US tryouts coming out in uh June. So that'll be that'll be a little bit of high intensity there.
0: <laughs> that'll be exciting. Where is that held?
1: Uh so that's in Baltimore, Maryland. So it's back on the East Coast uh at the US Across headquarters and I think they're bringing in about um maybe 100 people. So it sh- it should be good. It should be a really a fun time.
0: Awesome. Good luck for that.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's it's quite interesting obviously being a goalkeeper. I would I'm sure many people would agree goalkeeping is probably the toughest position in every sport, let alone lacrosse, where you've got a relatively big space, a six by six, and you've got this tiny rubber ball being absolutely zipped at you. How do you break down with your sort of juniors and college players that you work with in a goalkeeping sense of the skill of goalkeeping from a a technical, a physical, and a mental perspective? I'd love to hear a bit about how you break that down.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think – you know, the first part, like you said, is like being a lacrosse goalkeeper, like you're expected to make, like if you're really good, you're making 50, 55% save mm-hmm. percentage. So you're still letting in almost like half the shots that come at you. And I think just that awareness of like letting in a goal is okay. I think is one of the biggest things that to develop with your goalkeeper is, you know, you're not in trouble. You haven't like failed me. It's, you know, you're mm-hmm. going to, goals are going to go in. Um, and actually I was watching Taylor Marino the other day. Uh, for UNC against my own mater Syracuse, and she actually led in, I think it was like four goals without any saves. And I think what really defines her as one of the best goalkeepers in the nation right now is she went four goals down and still came out, I think at like 63% that day. So she went from having like a really rough start to an incredible game overall. And and mentally, that's where I think the, the best goalkeepers really lies, that ability to to know that the next shot is not dependent on the last shot, right? Like, you're going to see a different shooter in a different situation with a different defense from different spots going somewhere else. So we we can't let that snowball. So I always try to adjust. Exactly. Yeah, that mental side, I think, is is the biggest part to – with any goalkeeper of any age, to really get them through their head. Like, you know, I don't even know how many goals I've let in my entire career. Like, probably way too many. But, you know, it's going to happen. So. That part is always key, no matter what age you are. And then I think developmental-wise, physically, and um, saving the ball, for me, it's more, you know, at the end of the day, we want to make a save, right? Like, whether it's with your stick sick or with your body. You know, ideally, it's your stick just because no one wants their body getting beat up. And to me, that shows mm-hmm. that you're tracking the ball. But, you know, really just developing the, the very basic movings, movements of getting your body and your stick to the ball, right? Not taking a step, false step back, not... Doing all these things, like, but actually, really, just for whatever it is, full send, going straight to the ball, um, and then from there you can kind of tweak and, and adjust based on the goalie. But again, you know, we're all built differently. Like, I'm only five five. There are some goalies that are, you know, six feet. There's some goalies that are five feet, and we all have to really honor our body size. And I, I try to preach that too. Is you know, we're all going to play differently. But at the end of the day, if you stop the little rubber ball coming at you like that's all we need right if you can do it consistently exactly. it doesn't matter how that's it's done the key. so I think again that's uh, a big part to hammer home is you, even in college across like you look at all these goalies like they all play so differently right so mm. finding a style and really soaking up all that knowledge and, and building your bank of information I think is really key for any goalie of any age
0: for sure for sure I think lacrosse is one of those sports where you obviously have the fundamentals that are quite, quite sound and everyone has to work on them as a beginner and the like, but you can expand into your own style quite strongly. Whereas compared to something maybe I'd say soccer is a similar sort of thing where there's such room for creativity, but when you've got a stick and you have got all these different angles, both hands, one hand and the like, and then obviously moving to a goalie sort of saving it. There's such an ability to develop your own style there that plays to your strengths that, can be just as effective as someone else. It may look completely different. Like you might have a very stick-dominant, top-hand, like up-high-saving goalkeeper versus someone else that does the splits maybe. I know John Galloway is quite good with his feet and getting super low to the ground and pulls off these incredible kick saves without even trying to really get his stick there because he's dialed and he's got his feet to, to the ball. And like that works and that works for him. may not work for you. You may be much better getting your stick down low. Yeah, but it's playing sure. to your strengths there. It's really trying to find that balance between having everyone in this one autonomous flow to be this one, not maybe not robotic, but one of. mold. <laughs> Putting everyone in the same mold does such, it's such a disservice to, I think, everyone's own creativity and individual ability and even intuition there of, I like this position. It feels good for my body. It may not look good, but if I can be effective there and I stop the ball, like, isn't that the goal? Like, if it looks totally. awkward, it looks ugly, and I get there, though.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's kind of the job done. I, totally. And I, I actually say that all the time. It's like, I don't want you guys to be robots. Like, I have two goalies in, in my high school team right now, and they play completely differently. And that's fine for me because they look completely differently, right? Like, they, they play differently. Um, and to your point, John Galloway plays the way I. I grew up watching Tillman Johnson, who played for UVA, and he and and Matt Matt Russell for Navy, and they played like super high arcs. And now everyone's playing like mm-hmm. basically on the goal line. And um, but yeah, I, just play your style, right? Like make the save, like you said. And uh, yeah, I hate the robotic. No one should look the same. It's kind of like a squat, right? Like we have our high squat, we have our low bar squat, and. No one's built the same way, so I don't know why we try to have exactly. everyone
0: do the same way. Hundred percent. It's quite, it's quite interesting there. talked about sort of previous goalies that have influenced your game, and I feel that many things in sports sort of pendulum back and forth. So, in that regard, like they may have influenced the the current sort of crop of goalies at the top level, and then now you guys are influencing the people that are coming up, and you may be very big on say fundamental stick saving, like and being very good up high. And that becomes the in-trend thing. <laughs> but then a few other people bring back like low saving and the like. Well, a, a good example of extrapolating that to basketball would be something like Steph Curry has right. revolutionized the distance shooting game. Before that, it was all about the big man, all about inside in the post totally. and everything. Yeah. And then outside shooting has revolutionized the NBA. And now someone like Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic are bringing that inside presence back. So it kind of it flip-flops back and forth.
1: Yeah, I and it's to quite interesting to, to
0: see that in lacrosse as well.
1: Yeah, I guess that's true in life too, right? But I mean, now that you say that, it does make complete sense. Like, we idolize these people. We play like them. But in between, there's other generations going on too, right? And so we bring our own style. And then, you know, it goes through these cycles. Like, next thing you know, bell-bottom jeans are coming back. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> 100%, 100%. So. It's quite interesting as well. Talking about sort of the mental side of goalkeeping as well, like you have been a top performer for obviously many, many years now, 15 years plus. All-star, arguably one of the best keepers in the world over that stretch as well. What sort of mental tools have you developed over that time period to help you deal with when you're in a bit of a rut, you've conceded a few goals or just game to game, aren't feeling yourself, aren't feeling very dull? Like what what do you do to get you through those sort of time periods? Uh, Well, I
1: think I'd be fortunate, I hesitate to say fortunate enough, but like, I think part of that is just like anything else, you have to have practice doing it, right? So I've, I've had a lot of moments mm. where they didn't go well, and then the outcome didn't go well either. So I think a little bit of trial and error. But throughout that time, I think I've shifted my focus from wanting to to be like the absolute best and being super hypercritical to wanting to have fun and realizing that you know when you're in the game that is the payoff like that's what you've been working for that's what you've been striving for and what happens in a game happens in a game like you can't control the opponent so it's it's gone from you know really being nitpicky and i did this wrong i did that wrong and and that really snowballs in your own mind right because you're thinking about that To well you know um more of a a data i i kind of say data-driven approach because i think about okay she did this i did that it went in the back of the goal because I did this, you know, or vice versa. And it really just recognizing what happened rather than putting an emotional blame on either myself or my defenders or what have you. So, um, I love moving, that. yeah, moving on to that. And I, and I find that's really helpful to me is just saying the story of what happened, right? You know, she took a split dodge, defender missed. She stuck, she, you know, shot off stick mid. I saw her shoulders. I thought it was going to go six side high. So I stepped the wrong way and, you know, it is what it is. It's not like, oh, man, I really suck. I missed that shot, you know? So it's it's really helped me in that sense for sure.
0: 100%. I, I think it's quite interesting in regards to when you're preparing for a, a game or something like that and you're feeling very emotional, you get so jacked up and so hyped for the game, and then you get there and you're just you're bubbling over it at the seam and all it takes is one mistake, one yep. bad shot you thought you should have had, or you get a piece of one and it goes in and – you're ready to explode at that point. You've got all these emotions just bursting out inside of you there. And then as you sort of get further into your career, you play more games and you, you learn to control your emotional state better. You you learn that, all right, I get to the day. I've prepared myself as best I can. That's all I can control. I go out, I play my game, whether I win, lose, save at 30%, save at 75%. If I've given my best effort and controlled everything I can control, like, you live with the outcome. It is what it is at the end of the day there. And you can never control the real opponent. They are going to do what they're going to do. You go out and give your best effort. And I feel that once you sort of start to understand that, it's a real big like clicking sort of position that Mm -hmm. you're like, all right, well, I can't really control the outcome fully. I can control what I do and that's about Mm -hmm. it. And I think that's, yeah, a a big time in any athlete's life there.
1: It only happens
0: towards – the later half of their career, <laughs>
1: yeah, but, unfortunately, yeah, I think it's right. quite
0: a, a big tool there.
1: Yeah, no, totally. And some people are all like, "You have to make the first save to have a good game." I'm like, I mean, you don't know what's going to happen on the first shot. It could be a slam dunk, and then exactly. you can't, you know, rely can't rely on that. So I'm a big believer, like you said, just uh, kind of doing your best of what you're given that day. Like you come in, you're an energy level of like twenty percent, and you still do, you know, decently. That could be a great day for you. So. Trying to honouring what your body and who you are and, and where you're going with that,
0: so. Hundred percent, and often like it's very hard to, to really know what's going on in someone's life. Like, obviously, there's so many things that can be extending beyond the cross that could have someone that could be along with your family issues, financial issues, health issues, anything above. But you don't know that when you rock up on the day. So, like, a teammate lets in an easy goal or something like that, rather than I guess berating them or just being like oh, and like positive uh, negative body language and the like just staying upbeat focusing on like where did I make a mistake in that play that led to that may not have been in that play may have been the day before or anything like that and it's you're always trying to take an internal blame perspective I feel without being too hard on yourself obviously but more of a, a decision making sort of thing where like how could I have changed this outcome what could I have done differently rather than putting it on a teammate or anything like that as well is a much better way to let it, like, sit with yourself.
1: Yeah, and you're not going to change it, right? Like, the goal happened or whatever happened. Exactly. Totally, yeah. So thinking more, I guess, on the growth mindset kind of towards what you're saying is what what are you going to do next time that's going to make the difference, for sure, for
0: sure. 100%, especially with something like that, or even if it's a a decision against you, whether it be a goal or not, like talking to the ref, blaming a teammate, tripping the opposition. it's the sort of thing that, it's not going to change the ref. It has, no ref has ever changed their mind with a player yelling at them <laughs> saying, you made the wrong decision. No,
1: never. Like never. just go, all right,
0: no emotional sort of connection there. Like next decision, next decision. Always move on, look forward rather than trying to look back. Because as you were saying before, like you let the first goal in and it's, oh, no, this is going to be a bad game. Like that doesn't reflect on anything else. You just look no, forward, yeah. look forward.
1: Yeah, no, totally. 100%. Yeah.
0: <laughs> next sort of question for you here. Being so close to making multiple national teams for championships sort of squads and never having quite got there, unfortunately, would be a tough experience for anyone to sort of go through. Like how have those experiences and moments taught you about, I guess, the sport of lacrosse and life as a whole?
1: Gosh, that's a great question.
0: Big <laughs> <a deep> question. <laughs> uh, so,
1: yeah, no, so I've I missed two World Cups. So this is my third third time at Charm, hopefully. Um, I
0: think the, <laughs> Fingers first crossed. Time,
1: yeah, the first time was more like I was super young and you know you could handle it because you're like, I have a lot of growing to do, even though I was successful at mm-hmm. the college level at that time. It was more just like, okay, I have a lot to work on. Um, the most recent time was a little bit more frustrating just because you know, I thought I was there. There was all the... Uh, feedback from the coaches that you know made it seem like it was improbable, you know, and you know whatever happened happened. And I I really struggled with that for a while, and not definitely not the way I wanted to go out with. Um, mm-hmm. but in the second, in the same sense, it gave me a little bit more perspective on life too. Like you know this isn't this isn't everything, right? It, lacrosse isn't everything. I actually happened to be going through a rough time, and then you know after I got cut, things actually started turning up. I got a new job. I met some new friends and and really started to enjoy life outside of lacrosse. And I was almost ready to kind of lay down the stick. But then um, again, another year long break. And then they started to pick up the, we do rounds of four years, but usually that first year is kind of light. So, um, you know, getting a little break there and then having a new coach and just new teammates, it was really refreshing. And I kind of went from putting all this pressure on myself. So like you got cut once, like you can't get cut again to now this time I'm kind of just here for the fun. Like if I'm going to be there and I'm going to be dedicating all this time and effort, like I just want to have fun with it. Like when it gets time to the field, um, I don't want to be stressed or, you know, negative or anything like that. I just, you know, I want to go out with knowing that I did everything I could, but like I actually enjoyed it because I think out of the first two trips through like that attempt to get it to World Cup, I just wasn't, you know, happy with it. I was just more mm. just physical. It's a like, business trip. trip. It's a business yeah. trip rather
0: than a personal trip.
1: Yeah, exactly, and and it sounds like a lot of people do that, but for me, I need to really enjoy the moment, right? Like, if you're gonna put in these hours and be away from your family and do all that, then it needs to be something that's fun. So, uh, one Honestly, more year It needs to
0: come from a place of love.
1: Exactly, exactly. So one more year, and we'll we'll see what happens. But at the very least, I know that this these past, I guess, now four years have been easily the most enjoyable that I've had on my on my time with the U.S. team. So. I think no matter what, I think it's been a really big life journey in terms of figuring out, you know, put your time towards something that you enjoy and that you want to use that time, right? Because time's more valuable than money. It's You, you don't get it back. 100%. So. I think
0: it's quite, it's a, it's a very interesting perspective you've got there of doing it from not a place of, oh, I have to do this, I have to succeed, I have to make this team. It's all like almost a, a bit of a fear response as well there where like, I, I may not be good enough, but I'm having to try so much harder to make up for that potential.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know the term, but the, the potential not being ready or whatever you may view it as there to now sort of transitioning to a place of I'm doing it because I enjoy it. I'm doing it because I want to do it. Like if I make it cool, if I don't make it cool, I've enjoyed it nonetheless. And it's coming from a, a positive emotion standpoint rather than a more of an anxious sort of side over here.
1: And I think, yeah, that's a very
0: interesting point. And it completely changes your game there. When you're in that sort of more negative emotional state there, or negative might not be the word, but the uh, non-conducive emotional state there. As a goalkeeper, you're playing stiff, you're playing rigid, you're overthinking, you're hypercritical, and it completely throws your game off there.
1: And you compare that to playing playing from a, a
0: happy sort of point
1: yeah when you're and i think all coaches know this and especially as performance coaches is when you're relaxed is when you do your best right like no one does well when you're stiff you can't move you can't do anything 100%. um and yet here we are like putting pressure on our athletes or what have you and and I, again to your point i got to this point where it was probably pretty negative so it's like okay if this happens then what's gonna happen i'm gonna get cut you know like very negative whereas now it's like if it happens well I you mean, know, I'm going to break the ball out. I'm going to make the next save. So very different mindset. Exactly. of You know, the very dramatic ending versus the this is what happened in life. We're going to how are we going to fix it.
0: Hundred percent. I, I read an awesome book. I can't remember who it's by, but it's called The Inner Game of Tennis, and it essentially chronicles what we're talking about here. And obviously, tennis being one of a, a very top end mental sports, I think it's it's, it's very interesting how the more that you sort of think the more that it takes you away from the player, puts you within your own sort of brain there and slows yeah. down everything that's actually happening. You're playing in your conscious brain there. And that's so inhibitive of true high performance there. And then sort of moving over to the subconscious brain, when you're having that like out of body experience, you're in your pure flow state, you're watching yourself play almost. That's what it feels like when you're just dialed, you're not thinking, you're just reacting to what's happening. You're, like you're not thinking, it's, it's nothing slow, there's no filter that everything has to go through. And that's a very interesting point because going through that sort of time where oh I've, I've conceded a goal, I'm getting hypercritical, I'm thinking about what happened, then the next shot's coming, but now I'm thinking about where they were, what angle they had, that's just all slow in that brain and reaction down there. And then being able to get out of that and just next shot, it's coming, I've seen a million shots, like I'll read it as I do with anyone is a very game-changing sort of thing to be able to to process. And, like, I feel the earlier an athlete or competitor gets that, the bigger influence that can have on their career of you look at a lot of the sort of youth phenoms and the like where they're very sort of subconscious performers. And then as they get to that college level where the expectations go up so much, they may sort of dwindle back and forth there and they may get hypercritical, which is why I feel you see a lot of very extremely talented performers that are having ridiculous 10 15 point games potentially swing back here for a couple of games and be in a bit of a slump but yep. the, nothing's changed about their skills they're the same player like they uh, provided they're not injured and the like like what's changed other than maybe their mental approach their view of the pressure that may or may not be there it's kind of like that a that sophomore slot an right? interesting thing
1: yeah exactly right like your freshman year you're just so numb to it because you're a freshman and everything's new and you're just doing it and then your sophomore year you come back with these expectations of i have to do this again but at the same time
0: 100
1: yeah it's funny you bring up tennis though i was actually i think the the book that changed my mindset on everything was actually about golf um and i think it's Uh, extraordinary. It's very similar to that book, but it's about golf. And and the thing that changed my whole perspective was, you know, it took you on like a journey of a golf course. And It was like, you know, what if I told you as you go up to the first hole, you're going to do your worst, Like you're going to get a bogey, it's going to be like your worst hole of golf ever but then holes two through 18 will be your best ever. You will have the best game of golf for your entire life. Like, would you still take that? And of course everyone's like, absolutely. I would Mm. totally shank the first hole to have the rest of them. Yeah. And, you know, the moral story is like, your first hole doesn't dictate your second hole. They're two very different outlets, two very different things going on. And the second hole doesn't dictate the rest or whatever. But also like, if you fail on your first, doesn't mean you're gonna have a bad day. And I think those two things combined were really just something that set apart was like, okay, if I let a shot in you know, by someone, it doesn't mean the next shot by someone completely different in a completely different situation isn't going to get saved. Or that if I let in five, it doesn't mean the next 12 aren't going to be amazing saves. So um, another another individual sport or even with doubles like that, I think they have the strongest mental game for sure. I mean, they have
0: to. Oh, 100%. Golf would be much more intense in terms of that mental game than tennis. Still... In the same realm, but golf, yeah, definitely higher because yeah. you are competing against nothing other than yourself really there. Like you are getting the best performance out of yourself and that emotional state has time to linger between every hit. Like similar, similar to being a goalie, like if you face a shot, concede, and then don't face another for a couple of minutes, you might feel a bit out of rhythm, a bit out of flow, and it's how well you can keep your mental game dialed in between those reps or attempts or strokes is such a – a linchpin between good performance mm-hmm. and being able to string a consistent game together. And I feel that that's something that's quite underrated with a lot of goalkeepers and the like, where if you're not facing no. shots every every minute or two, like, say, in something like, compared to a box game where goalies are facing 60, 70 shots, easier game.
1: Yes. You may only face
0: 10 in an outdoor game, and mm-hmm. those 10 are so much more pivotal because the overall scoring is so much lower.
1: Yeah, I actually think that's a huge... Show. I mean, both men and women now have a shot clock and I'm convinced that the goalies are doing a little bit better now because they're seeing so many more mm. shots, right? Like there's no longer that lull of, you may not see it for however many minutes because the team your team's taking a little bit more methodical approach. Now it's, you know, you're getting a lot more shots. So whether for better or worse, you're getting into that rhythm, which is, is pretty awesome mm. to have for sure.
0: I think it's quite interesting from a, like a spectator sort of standpoint as well. Like it, it definitely encourages a lot more sort of active viewership from people that aren't necessarily within the lacrosse community there mm-hmm. just as a whole because it's a lot more fast paced. It's a lot more back and forth. Like uh, I, when I was sort of just getting into lacrosse in a little bit about 2013, I remember the next year was like the men's worlds and okay. Canada, Canada beat the U S in that one, but it was a, a score of seven to four or something like that.
1: Yeah. It was low and, under 10 for sure.
0: Exactly. And it was super low scoring and try to explain why it was that low scoring to people and showing them like, I guess a couple of clips, like they just completely out of the realm of understanding it because it was such a foreign, almost yeah. soccer speed game in the sense of very low scoring, a lot of possession trying to be held compared to where I feel the sport as a whole is going now. And it's, it's completely flipped on its head where, trying to make the olympics and the like having to sort of unify a set of rules in like the whether it be the 6v6 or a modified sort of 10v10 Mm -hmm. the game's just speeding up and speeding up and i feel that that works both from a goalie perspective and from a more offensive perspective where you're getting more looks you're getting more fast paced sort of runs
1: Mm -hmm. for sure because you know you're gonna get the ball back right like even if you miss you're gonna get that for sure no for sure yeah so i feel like it's kind of hot cold right like you're either on or you're off <laughs> you may mm. not you may not have a comeback there so
0: definitely definitely interesting point in regards to sort of the difference of the youth athlete sort of realm now to when you came up uh-huh. with the prevalence of sort of high school teams club like different travel teams and the like and so much hyper specialization between youth athletes like what are your thoughts on how different the system is now to when, say, you came up as well as specialization as a whole. Do you think it's a good thing, a bad thing, somewhere in the middle?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, so when I was when I was getting recruited to college, I had only played club, I think, for one year. Like, I was – there was not – I mean, there was a club option, but I was too busy doing other things to really be bothered with club. It definitely wasn't why I got recruited. Hmm. Um, and I tell a lot of my students today, I'm like, if you want to get recruited – go to their college camp because if you go to the college camp, like not only are you on campus getting to meet the coaches and interact with them, you're on the campus eating their dining food, like you're getting a better sense of everything and they're evaluating. You're getting experience. Than, yeah. And they're evaluating for more than 15 minutes of whatever tournament you're at. Right. Um, mm. And, and I think, you know, the, the, the recruiting went super, super fast where like eighth graders and like people that were barely 14 were getting recruited and now it's slowed down a That's little bit more <laughs> for like 16. Um, but I, I also think there's a huge benefit to multi-sport um, athletes, not only because are they gaining that knowledge from like being a basketball player or a soccer player but they're also not draining their body of the same motion over and over again. Like I, I think if I would have played lacrosse and only lacrosse in college or I in high school and before high school, I would be burnt out by now. But I think with the fact that I didn't start playing girls lacrosse until my freshman year in high school probably gave me a leg up on other people because I didn't have that burnout sensation um Mm. like i know many others did uh so yeah i'm huge into multi-sport i think it's just good for your brain too take a break
0: (laughs) 100 percent. like that goes back to what we're talking about before of that that sort of year off period where Mm -hmm. when the sport switches from i'm doing this for fun to okay this is now serious i have to be at this level i have to be doing this this and this and it becomes less less fun less personal more business that's that big distinction. And I feel that that hyper-specialization brings that point maybe from a 15, 16 year old brings it down to 14, brings it down to thirteen, And you see a lot of these like, I guess very serious sort of like youth camps and the like with like eight, nine year olds. And it's
1: like,
0: nine. I was was playing on a playground still. Like I was kicking a random ball that we had found in a park, like not doing anything too serious. And that freedom of development definitely changes when you get put into a system with like structure and rigid rules and you have to be here and do this. And Mm -hmm. exactly. That's all, you know, you don't have that creativity. And for, for some things I feel it can be a little bit of a positive in terms of say maybe something like an Olympic track and field event or something like that, where it is quite linear Mm -hmm. and specializing a little earlier, but still participating in other things is an overall net positive. Yeah. But for something like a very open skill like lacrosse, like most sports, rather than an event, that's where that universal, like if I'm playing basketball, I'm going to be able to draw a lot of things from that that will help me play yes. lacrosse. Being and able think, to read pick and rolls, being able to read angles.
1: Yeah, I think I actually remember a study um, actually done, I think more in the UK about their soccer programs and like their ability to predict who would be the all-stars based on like their, you know, their younger talent was basically awful like like they think oh, you know, having their eight or nine year olds being able to pick that but i pretty much tell my kids i'm like if you're a stud in middle school you're probably not going to be good in high school and college because you've developed a little bit too early and you're just dominating at a level when people are not physically ready yet so i mean it's totally like I, I don't get the whole sports specialization thing especially when you're still going through puberty and maturity mm-hmm. and I, I don't. I can't imagine it's good for your body in general. Like different movements are great for your body. So doing the same sport over and over again, but then also just you know your point mentally and creativity-wise, and being able to kick a ball and play a game of fake tag or whatever it is is just so important to to the development of our youth.
0: For sure, for sure. I think it's quite interesting, even from like a psychological perspective. There, of if you are that under 14, that's that's way bigger than the competition that is just dominating physically, let alone from sort of a skill perspective, Mm -hmm. how that weighs up on your sort of psychological development of, Oh, like I'm, I'm the best. I I just dominate. Like, and you don't get that sense of I need to work hard Mm -hmm. and that's the equalizer versus someone that may not be as physically talented, may still be good, but not at that same level as the early developer. And then they learn that work ethic through trying to basically level that gap there. And that is like that sort of chip on your shoulder isn't something that necessarily just goes away. Even once you start having success, like for some people it does, for some people it doesn't, but for those that it doesn't continually trying to basically close that imaginary gap at that point is what get a lot of them to be the best they can. Like you look at Michael Jordan was cut from varsity. Yeah. And the level of competitor he is that didn't sit with him. Even when he was hitting game winning shots at UNC in his college career, like still didn't matter. Still was working, still was working. And I feel that that's one of those sort of almost beneath the surface differences between those two athletes and why that being sort of a mid to late bloomer essentially can be a very beneficial thing for overall development and like the overall potential that you might reach.
1: For sure. Because if you're dominating, like you're not going to go and use your weekend like no one does. Don't tell me they do because they're too young to realize they need to do that, right? Exactly. They get overconfident. And to your point, even like Steph Curry, right? Like he's had, he's overcome so many things and yet here he is. So, Um, but yeah, I I would totally take an underdog any day, any day for sure.
0: Love it. Working with obviously a big sort of range of, ages for athletes like are you you're a primary school teacher aren't you or a p teacher
1: yeah primary teacher. so i work with kindergarten so like five year olds to about 12 year olds and then i coach at the high school so then you know i got like my 14 year olds to 18 year olds um and then i work with a couple college kids too so literally the whole spectrum the whole gamut (laughs)
0: that's that's awesome how do you feel your verbal sort of coaching and the drills you use change from such a obviously very different overall focus but from such a young age to up to the college where they're near pro level how -hmm. do you feel that that sort of has to be modified from your own perspective there
1: so i think the first thing is what i want i i want all my players or students to be successful in whatever they're doing so you think like a t-ball recommend, right like if you're playing baseball at like a high level you have a really fast pitcher really small ball normal bat wooden bat but if you're just teaching a five-year-old how to hit a baseball you're using probably a bigger ball a huge bat so they can be successful but they're still learning that range of motion and i think you know at a younger age when maybe we're not even teaching lacrosse. I mean, just a simple game of tag. You're learning the the skill of evading and juking and and also reading what the your other person's doing. Um, so it can be very fun and, and learning at a very young age, but also still give them those skills that will eventually translate into as you get older. Um, and as you get older, I feel like I try to set them up more into you know, where they're going to be successful, but where they kind of have to find the solution within the realm of questions, you know whether it's a five v four continuous drill, you give them no rules other than you've seen the boundaries, you know here's what it is, and you're looking for something specific. so um giving a little bit of challenge, but again, in the situation where they can always be successful, I think is probably one of the most important things.
0: I think that's awesome, like obviously a very big focus on sort of more play elements for the kids where you put them in a very if you called it a drill they, it would be completely over their head Now, yeah. all right yeah. guys we're going to go out we're going to do this and we're going to hit this we're going to tag each other or something and it's essentially working the exact same things that you are in that more sort of progressed version with those mm-hmm. older like college athletes but you've given them completely different outlooks on what they're doing to achieve the best example for or best result for each sort of demographic there and Very heavy on the the constraint-based coaching, which I think is awesome. We're having, obviously, a conversation about that a a while ago. But I think it's a very big thing that allows you to modify your coaching style to be successful with both audiences there, which is awesome.
1: Yeah. So for me, as long as it resembles the sport or, I guess, what you will eventually be competing in, I think is, is again, in addition to being successful is also really important when we're talking about our drills, right? Like, and going back to the tee ball, like, I don't know if I'd ever want to have a kid just hit off the tee because – that's not what happens, right? Like you always have someone throwing mm. an object at you. So whether it's like a dodge ball and you're just trying to catch it or whether it's a big ball and you're just trying to hit it with a stick, something that you know, always emulates the game that you wanna play um, regardless of age is, is super important.
0: Exactly, just like the skill is sort of here to here and you're working on a progression from a very yeah. low end and where they're technically competent, then progressing, progressing until you're yeah. at that top end and you go, all right. It's almost, you have very little constraints you bring more constraints in and then yeah. you remove those constraints again. It totally, I think it's actually, quite that's an the, interesting sort of paradigm that creates.
1: Yeah. That's actually a really good point of, you're right. You introduce a lot, they start figuring it out and then you start releasing, relaxing them a little bit and it almost makes it more challenging for them again, which is kind of cool.
0: Mm, yeah. I, I agree completely there. All right. Final question to wrap up now. <laughs> what advice would you have given to yourself five years ago? You can make it five to ten. I'm happy for you to choose either of those. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> well I think we kinda touched no on pressure. it a little bit. But I think I would I would go back and ten years is kind of when I started the US team, a little bit I started a little bit before then. But I think I would tell myself just to have fun with it. I think I, you know, trained in the wrong ways. I think, you know, lacrosse ways in general I'm told to run, but like as a goalie, that doesn't it's not something that like makes sense. Like I'm never running. It doesn't than, matter. It doesn't matter at all. It's yeah. not to say that I couldn't train in ways. Like, I'm I'm really big into pushing and pulling your own body weight right now. Like, I'm trying to do pull-ups, push-ups, burpees, anything that's really, like, explosive but with your own body weight because that's that's yeah, what we're that. right? Um, mm. So focusing on that, but then again, going back to it, just, you know, just have fun. Like, you know, you can't control what the coaches are going to pick. You can't control what the opponents are going to do. The only thing you control is, like, what you're doing and in the moment. You know your reactions so so really to have fun with it and to kind of enjoy the ride as you as you're on it
0: i think that is some awesome advice from a very knowledgeable perspective there as well
1: <laughs> yeah you have to fail a lot to know a lot right i think that's the biggest thing
0: <laughs> exactly but i mean is a fail ever really a failure you learn something from it is that not necessarily True. a positive experience later down the line
1: Yeah, No, I totally agree. And and I think, again, going back to that young kid in in middle school or high school and they want to be the best and you tell them, well, are you prepared to let in, you know, about 20,000 goals? Because that's probably what's going to happen in your career um, and getting that perspective of every time a goal goes in, you know, what are you learning from it? What did you do? What did you not see? How could you do better? And that growth mindset we talked about is, is just so important. 100%. Couldn't
0: agree more. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on Coach's Q&A, Liz. I really appreciate it. I'm sure all the people that have been watching have got some awesome insights from you as well. And we'll definitely have to tee up another one soon.
1: Yes. Thank you for having me and good luck with your game.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Uh, It's going to be interesting. We've got a few injured players, but we'll we'll do what we can. You go out, you make the most of it.
1: Yes. Yes, for sure.
0: (laughs) Too easy. If you've got any socials or anything coming up you want to plug, feel free as well.
1: I got nothing coming up, but, you know, next time you want to have me on, you let me know, and, and I look forward to it. So,
0: <laughs> Awesome. Well, everyone follow the U.S. team coming up because I'm sure you'll be on there.
1: Hope so. i got faith. Hope so. <laughs> All right. Thanks for having me. Too easy.
0: Have a good one. I'll catch All you later.
1: Right.
0: Bye. Bye.